This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, welcome back to your favourite Stoke City podcast, Every Step Along the Way. Uh, Joining me as always, Michael Stockley. How are you, Mike? I'm good, thank you, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Making my return after uh, after not being here for the last one. Uh, luckily, everyone's on the mend, so I'm I'm uh, back with you. Back, mate, back with you. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was with a, with a hospital air getting to me from the other day. Still. <laughs> So yeah, and you're not the only person joining us tonight, are you? We also welcome back a pod favourite, Lou Roberts. How are you? I'm good, thanks, lads. I'm good. Better um, for a good point on the road for the lads last night as well. Fantastic, and obviously three points for yourself, which we'll uh, we'll get into get into later on. But you had a bit of a, a bit of a battle, wasn't it? So you tell me. Yeah, um, so midweek fixtures always a bit of a challenge, really. Um, obviously, a lot of the girls have work or studies in the day and then travelling down to West Midlands and they made it really difficult for us so all credit to them they gave us a real a real tough evening and we just managed to to be a little bit resilient and, and grind it out really not probably a performance that we'll look back on and think um, was was how we'd want to to look back at the season and think that's how we play but we managed to grind a result out I think sometimes nights like last night cold they make it difficult you have to just find a little bit of resilience and dig deep and grind it out. I always think as well, like you can win some games, can't you? Five, six, seven nil. But uh, actually, when you grind out in your real tough game and you win it two one or one nil, always feels better to me than than when you go and give someone a spanking. Yeah. So last night, um, I think we played Bolmy St Michael's last night, and they've been on a a real bad run of form recently. So it's a little bit of expectation for us to go there and and perhaps put. A, put a few past them um, but they did make it difficult and I spoke to the girls after and I said listen you know nights like tonight could quite easily have been a bit of a banana skin in some respects so we could have gone there and they could have held us to a draw or we perhaps on other nights might not have had the, the determination to, to really drive through on a cold snowy night in the West Midlands um, so it does feel a little bit sweeter knowing that it was a real tough night and we still managed to overcome it and there's that kind of famous saying in football if you can if you can pick points up on the road when you're perhaps not at your best, you're doing something right somewhere along the line. Would that be a cold, cold Tuesday night in Bolmere then? Yeah, it definitely was, <laughs> mate. Perhaps it's not as cold as up in Middlesbrough, but it was definitely a bit chilly. <laughs> right, well, shall we get into that Middlesbrough game then? So 
Um, obviously, the team news landed. We were deciding when I, I know when I put my stuff into you, Mike, for the for the pod previewing the game, I thought we may change to a back three. And I think Liam was thinking along the same lines when I listened back. Um, yep. But no, he stuck with 4-3-3. Uh, we had Wilmot and Twan Zebe as the centre backs, which I think is the first time we've seen them together in the league. They seem to be quite, they seem to complement each other. I mean, I'd like to see that partnership stick together now. I think going forward, I think it's very likely to be the partnership next next year, unless he signs, you know, a, a couple of new central defenders. But I mean, obviously, Jagielka, no doubt, will retire. I think. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he'll go to his fifty. Maybe he's going to try and target the next big milestone. But. Yeah, Wilmot, I thought, you know what, actually, as much as Wilmot's been great this season, I think he had a very, very ropey start. I mean, obviously, he made that mistake uh, that easily could have led to a goal within, I think, the first few minutes, if I remember rightly. Um, So, you know, Wilmot's been solid all season. You've got to forgive him a bit of a a lapse in concentration. But, uh, yeah, the more I see Axel, uh, the more kind of confidence I have in the guy. Uh, He's not really... I don't know. He's not. He's not made any kind of like last ditch amazing tackles. I think he's just been on the ball. I would say. You know, he is composed. I'm yet to see his his passing kind of ability. I, I, I'm not quite sure if he has that or not yet. A lot of what he's been doing has just been about cutting the ball out and paying a simple pass. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought I agree, agree with you. I mean, I I think we kind of went for this one in, in our previews in terms of uh, personnel. Uh, uh, obviously, Fox was dropped. I mean, normal seasons, we would say, well, uh, obviously, but he's actually had a decent season as, as Morgan. So, um, yeah, to see Sterling and Hoover come in uh, was kind of expected, to be honest. And then, yeah, you, you move, you, you know, you move forward in, in the pitch and, you know, you look at Josh Lorraine and Pearson and Smallbone. I think the midfield and strike force probably picks itself. You can't really replace them at the minute. Especially the forward line. I mean, we've got the three up front, haven't we? And, on the bench, I mean, we Tesco, and then unfortunately Emery is out for the season now. Uh, Nathan Lowe, obviously another 17-year-old, come in to add a chance. Took has got some minutes. Now he's out for the season. We hear. Um, so it's according to the bench last night. It looks like Jacob Holland Wilkinson's the next uh, cab off the rank, if you like, <laughs> the next youngster being given a, a chance. Yeah, and I think it's, it probably gives a lot of credit to them players. I think because I think. And and you know probably something you'll be able to maybe uh, relate to as as well, really, Lou. But I think competition for places is obviously really important to have in any in anyone's squad, really. And I think those three at the minute they know they are guaranteed starters, and it doesn't look to me like they're taking you know the the foot off the pedal at all. You know it does seem like they are still giving everything, which is credit to them. Uh, to be honest, I, I think the only slight criticism, and I don't want to be criticizing players when we a really good performance in um, I'm still not convinced by Jacob Brown he's not quite hit the heights of previous seasons it's a few you know typical Jacob you know he'll miss a bit of a sitter like the header he missed um, in the in the late second half but then he'll go and score a goal from a tight angle it's I think that those are the differences between being a mid-table team and being a top-half team um, is a little bit of added quality so I think he is potentially the only weaker link but again all credit to them for, for putting a lot of effort in still. No, absolutely. And I think even with, so in that front line, um, I think it probably does pick itself. I would agree with you guys in that respect. Um, but although they probably feel quite comfortable in team selection, I do think as a squad and as a club, we've got a lot to prove. I think the, the opening exchange of the season, not just supporters, but I think internally, Alexander players would have probably 
felt that they underachieved slightly, particularly with the, the club and the fan expectation for the season as we come into it. I think everyone had got really high expectations and, and when Alex took over, I think he would have probably liked a bit more of an impact. But I think the players would have felt that as well in terms of we've got a lot to prove as a group and the last few performances and results we've started to maybe get a little bit of traction. But I'd like to think that even though they're a little bit comfortable in terms of they're playing well and they're probably comfortable in their team selection, that they've got something to prove over the last exchanges of the season and, and probably you know, do the hard yards and, and put the name into that kind of frame for next season because I don't think there's any doubt we'll probably enter that market and be looking to add in a bit of depth and quality. Um, but there's a real opportunity for, for those three, four to go and put the name into the into the hat for next season as well. On, on Jacob Brown there, I think although he's he's not his goal record and his, his output in that respect isn't what it was last season, I think he has had a few niggles on this year and maybe struggled to get into a rhythm. But I think what you do get is you, you, he never stops putting the effort in, he never stops running and there's a lot of things he'll probably do that go unnoticed and it's it's probably no surprise, uh, would you say, Lou, that, that Hoover's managing to get forward from right back and get space uh, to, you know, to get shots and obviously get his three goals uh, coming along the same side where he's got Jacob Brown playing in front of him who's making runs and movement is probably occupying the defenders, leaving the space for Hoover to, to sort of drive into as we've seen in the last few games. Yeah, I think I would agree again that I think Jacob's probably falls into the category category of being quite selfless. So I don't think he minds, you know, off the ball, he works tirelessly hard for 90 minutes. And I think that's probably what won him over with the fans. They loved that even in those really difficult, tough times that he was, his work rate was incredible and he never stopped working and he got that passion and desire, which I don't think we always saw at the start of the season. And that'll be helping Hoover a lot, I think, who hadn't scored a league goal before he before his, his recent run with Stoke and then he's got three goals in two games. I think Jacob will be, obviously he's busy in the 18-yard box and he'll be causing full-backs and centre-backs a real problem and, and that's probably opened up an opportunity for Hoover as well. And I think probably that, prominent to mention that Ben Pearson and that, so with the security of Ben now, players like Hoover will feel confident and assured going forward knowing that actually if the attack breaks down, we've got that security in Ben, he, he breaks play up really well and offers that security, which will allow that midfield pair in front of him, but full-backs to, to get forward and support the attack, knowing that he's going to tidy up if we if we do get caught in possession. So I think Ben plays a little bit of a part in Hoover's success as well. The, the, the transformation in the midfield since they've added Pearson in there, is, it's, it's like a different team. And it's just that one player just pivoting and just linking the attack and the defence and controlling everything. I mean, Mike... We've said it before, we've got Smallbone and Loren. They just seem to be like it's amazing what the difference of having those two players attacking the box now has. Like now they've got Pearson there, and them two can just concentrate on getting forward when we when we're going forward. They haven't got to worry about you know have they got to stay back, and having those two supporting the three attackers makes it just see how many more goals we're scoring now when we go forward. You know what? I couldn't have actually put it any better. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Um, it's it's strange, as you said, how one man in Pearson can make such a difference. The players are playing with with freedom. I, I'd arguably say that if Lewis Baker was in this team, we'd probably see you know 
the the Lewis Baker of old as well because I think yeah Ben as you said would be doing that uh, that kind of donkey work at the back he he's not looking applauded he's just happy to be the man picking things out and and you're right you know it, it's giving freedom to Smallbone and Co and you can see that when we're attacking and I think this is another reason why we're scoring so many goals is because I think we're playing with the freedom we're getting bodies in the box the amount of times this you know earlier on this season and previous seasons you know you look at an attack going forward and it's you know it's one midfielder and maybe one striker in the box which obviously you know you're always going to be up against it but every time we go forward now there could be four five six players in the box ready to receive the ball you know hovering on the edge of the box which is something that Josh Loren's been doing a lot of um we weren't doing that before but I think you know you and obviously Lou were right I think Ben doing that work that he's doing they can just concentrate on being their best selves going forward um and it's it's crazy to think that one man can have such a difference to a team, um, and and arguably, I mean, I've heard people say that he's probably the best, one of the best midfielders since Glenn Whelan. Um, even people, some some of them saying Stephen and Zonzi, and I know there were quite different types of players, but um, again, I think when you talk about impact on a team, it's you know it's not. Um, it's not unusual to say that you know he's he's having a similar impact in a slightly different way for me. Yeah, I'd say he's, he's certainly the best Glen Whelan since Glen Whelan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't. I mean, I think he has such an impact because there's so few of those kind of players around at this level. I mean, we've had to wait far. We've been in this division now five years, and we've not had a midfielder who can do that job. And I don't think there's. If you look around the rest of the division, there aren't many that can do it to that standard. I mean, Lou, you, you yourself, I mean, do you think that kind of midfielder who just sits and is happy just to let everyone else play around them, it, it's, it's they're a hard thing to find, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. And probably a little bit because I think most footballers will want to be on the ball. The, the game's kind of evolved to the point where it's not the traditional game now where, you know, Traditionally, you've seen teams that have have banked up and they've they've tried to make it difficult for the opposition. The game's evolved now, so teams want to move the ball. They want to be fluid in the system, rotations within it. Um, And I think that's probably what players have brought through in the pathway um, to be creative. And and that's great. But we saw how restricted your your bakers were, your small bones, your Lorenz, when you haven't got that, that kind of workhorse behind you that's almost a glue, really. So, and I think what's really good as well is we kind of reference the similarities between Glenn Whelan and Pearson, but I think it's really nice that the fans kind of recognise that as well. And it's sometimes a bit of a selfless job in as much as he probably isn't going to go and score five to ten goals a season and he probably isn't going to be, you know, breaking lines with, with assist passes, but he's going to do a job so that your players like Loren and your Hoovers and your Campbells can, can go and kind of reap rewards and, I remember years ago, Glenn Whelan, some people really appreciated him and some people couldn't couldn't see the value in him. But I think the fans have really bought into Pearson because they've seen how he's enabled other players to go and be creative. And it's a little bit of a selfish job, really, in some respects. And I don't know how many players at this level are willing to kind of sacrifice their game for the, for the team. But I think that's what, well, that's what I've seen from Ben so far is he's, he's quite comfortable kind of sacrificing his game on the ball to enable them around him to be creative. Yeah, so I think what we can safely say is that we're all Bournemouth fans between now and the end of the season. 
as much as that <laughs> just well, just need to stay up so we can get him full time. You, you say that, mate, but I, to be honest, you know, I think even if they come down, um, I don't think Ben Pearson's going to want to stay. You know, he's got at that point then when we think about the new season, I think he'll have less than 12 months on his contract. He's probably going to be thinking, right, well, you didn't want to play me last season. You weren't going to give me a chance in the Premier League. Um, I'm now with a manager that I respect and I've worked under for the last you know, three or four years previously. Um, he's given me a chance. I'm playing well. And with a team that potentially now is going places, I actually think and it's maybe this is the red tinted glasses. I think he'd rather stay at Stoke than go back to Bournemouth. I really do. Unless there's a personal reason, a family reason. Um, I still don't think he would choose Bournemouth over Stoke. I really don't. Obviously, we've got seven loanies, haven't we, at the minute? How many of them do you think will be Stoke players come August? Okay, so I think Axel will be because he's out of contract. I think that's an easier one to do. Um, that would be a I, ma- sorry to cut you off. That would be a massive deal. I know you think, um, Luke, but I think I think he could get Premier League clubs after him in the summer. He's that good. Yeah, he's. Um, I've um, in a couple of times I've seen him. He looks really assured. Um, I probably agree with Mike that. Out of possession, I don't think he's perhaps been asked too many questions of. He's just really tidy. Seems to just tidy play up quite well. Um, is, but in is that because, well, sorry, is that because he's not put himself in that position there as a centre half? Like some of the best centre backs, I'm not. I mean, I'm not saying he's at this level, but I remember like you saw like Rio Ferdinand, for example. Never, you never saw him make a tackle because he never had to, did he? Yeah, there's that old saying that you know if you're making a tackle, you're probably not been, you've probably not done the the right things before, and your positioning is perhaps slightly out, um, etc. But yeah, I probably agree. He just looks really assured and calm throughout the the time I've watched him. I think he'd be a huge coup for us, and I think there'll be interest. But again, um, I think Alex he's got an idea of what he wants. That's the impression I get that. Bringing Ben Pearson in is is quite a strategic move. He's worked with him before. He knows what Ben brings. He fits kind of the profile of what we need. And I think, I don't know if Alex would have brought him in um, without perhaps looking a little bit long-term with Axel as well. I'd love him to stay. I really like him. I think he just looks really assured, um, confident on the ball. I'd agree with Mike again, though. We perhaps haven't seen like his range of distribution as such. He's, he's just been really simple. He's kept the game quite simple but always look really comfortable in possession. And then out of possession, he never seems like he, he breaks a sweat. He just seems so calm and comfortable. Um, so I'd like to see him to be maybe put on the back foot a little bit and somebody um, challenge him. Although I thought Gallagher did it the other night, um, on Friday night a little bit. He was quite competitive and absolutely comfortable. So he'd be a huge coup for us in the summer. I think those two I'd love to see on board more long term um, obviously back to you Mike sorry um, let you sort of finish off there I mean obviously so you think Axel's a, one we could do on a free um, yeah I think he, Pearson yeah he'll be a cheap deal I can't see Bournemouth trying to charge as well they can try but I don't think they're going to get away with charging his stupid money um, I reckon it'll be anywhere between one to three million I don't see it being more than that so I think Pearson will be another guaranteed one Um the I think the issues instead of going through individual people, I guess, I think the, the main issue for me in terms of any summer signing would be small bone. Um just because I think if Southampton do come down, which they very well could do, he's we've kind of almost made a, a ready made replacement. And I think they could very easily turn around and ask for too much money. And I don't think they're gonna loan him to us. 
um, if they have no need for him. I really don't. So I I reckon we'll be in a situation where we need probably two strikers. Now, two quality strikers are not going to come cheap. I would not be surprised to see us put a lot of our investment in those areas. So I do question our ability to close that one down. So for me, yeah, it'd be Axel Pearson. I aren't convinced to get Hoover and Sterling, if I'm honest with you. Uh, not because I don't think we don't want them, Dan, but I think Hoover, if he's going to play a 4-3-3, as good as he is going forward at times, Hoover, I still question his defensive capabilities, if I'm honest. Uh, I aren't convinced there. So... I think, again, depends on who's available, but it wouldn't be surprised just to uh, not to see him come back. And it's strange for a player who's just scored three goals in two games. I mean, Wolves paid £9 million for him, didn't they, from Liverpool? So you can't imagine him just casting him to, to the side. Um, with Hoover and Steele, I mean, Sterling, can you see Chelsea wanting to keep hold of him? No. I mean, Chelsea just stockpile players, don't they? Uh, well, in mean, the hope that they can I sell them on. New new laws coming in around um, how many players you can loan out, isn't there as well? So that may there may be a bit of a flash sale of Chelsea Chelsea youngsters this summer because I think they've been limited on how many players they can actually send out on loan. Um, so maybe maybe we'll go for a buy one sterling get one free. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, actually, that's, as well. that's probably, a th- I think, a, a, a fair point as well. I mean, we talk about Hoover maybe not being suitable um, because of his defensive capabilities. But let's not forget, Sterling's playing on the left when he should be on the right. So if we can't afford, uh, afford rather, um, Hoover, then maybe Sterling is the more likely op- kind of option there. And then we have, you know, Josh Timon, who can come in and play in that in that left back maybe, uh, and you know, build, build his you know experience there. I know he's typically a left wing back, but again, we know how good Timon can be, so he could fill in at the left back spot. You've then got Morgan Fox, who we know is not a great player, but as I said, pretty steady Eddie. So maybe we're not in so much of an urgent need for left back, really. I'm not saying we don't want a replacement, but I don't see us spending money there. Let's get Sterling over the line um, and see how things pan out. Like I say, he's out of contract in the summer, but for me, he'll be getting a new contract. Or at least I'd be giving him one if I was a manager, because gone are the days where we can just go out and splash loads of money all over the place. And Morgan Fox, he's, he's I imagine his wages are not, above average or sky high for a ch- by sh- championship standards and he's a good backup you know, he's a solid fullback and he's proved he can do a job in a two-man centre-backs and a three-man centre-half um, and he's, he's a left-sided centre-half aren't easy things to come come across either so for me like I say definitely even if he's just as backup and he's aware he's going he's primarily going to start the season as backup um, then yeah I think I'd definitely be offering him a contract. On this game in particular, I mean, we've got, going back to it, for me, I found it thoroughly entertaining, I'll be honest. I thought it was really entertaining, really enjoyable. And I thought for any neutral who sort of, you know, um, tuned into Sky and watched it, I think they'd have been, you know, quite happy that they spent an hour and a half of the time there watching that match. Um, but what I did think is you could not have looked at that and tell that one side was 16th in the league and one was, you know, going for the top two. I think, you, if anything, we probably look like this side going for promotion. We had, we had them penned back for long periods in the game, didn't we, Mark? Well, I was at work today. Um, I've had comments from people saying, well, how are you lot that, that far down? 
And obviously, the, the simple answer is January's transfer window has changed everything. But you've seen it online as well. You've seen several comments. When I, when I look back, at, I think obviously Sky Sports put a couple of clips out. I am always very interested just to click on those threads and see what opposition fans are saying. And, you know, Middlesbrough fans are saying, you're the best team we have played all season bar Burnley. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a complete transformation. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I was coming away disappointed that we didn't beat Middlesbrough. And they're probably the most informed team and I will probably take over Sheffield United, I think, at this rate. So to think that where we've been this year and to come away after two very tough games against Sunderland and Blackburn, to be disappointed that we didn't win two or three one says everything to me. Yeah. I say we've even done that with I say Brown, like you said, a bit of a quiet game. Gail didn't really get involved in the first sort of 30, 40 minutes. Um I know we like to <laughs> we do like to mention him, but again I thought Tyrese Campbell had another another great game. He was playing with a smile on his face, head up, taking people I mean, there was a couple of times where he's he shifted the ball from his left to his right, back to his left, and you know, the defenders sort of you know struggling to keep up what he's trying to do and before he knows it, the ball's ten, fifteen yards past and, and Tyrese is gone. And I thought um, at the minute, he, any fullback he comes up against, he looks to to be sort of having them uh, having them on toast, doesn't he? He loves it. <laughs> we 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 know how good Tyrese can be, and I think you know he's had a very difficult ten, eleven months out, whatever it was. Uh, it seems it's strange that seems like a million million years ago now, but it really isn't. Like, I think this is his first proper season back, and as I said, you know, we need to just. Keep him fit for the rest of the season. Let's not have any last-minute injuries where we're worrying about next year. And now, you know, now we need to go and find three strikers instead of two. Uh, I don't want any of that. Uh, Tyrese has found a formation, or Alex Neal has found a formation that suits Tyrese. You know, he's got the confidence in him. Tyrese knows he's going to be starting pretty much every single match as long as he keeps his form going. So yeah, you're right. Tyrese is the outlet that we that we absolutely need. Uh, you mentioned you know Dwight Gale. I think he touched the ball nine times last night. I don't actually think that was majorly his his fault. If I'm honest, I just think the nature of how we were attacking the other night um, didn't really allow for the you know the that kind of like target man laying balls off. I don't think we were close enough to him to allow for that. So I'm not going to criticise Dwight because he puts a, a real shift in. But um, it's going to be interesting next year. I would be surprised if Dwight Gale is still here. But where he goes, I'm going to cloak. <laughs> when you play that high-pressing sort of game, I think it's... It, and you play it as well as we did do. I think regardless of whether a player has many touches as such, um, sometimes you can get sort of sidetracked by those kind of stats, can't you? That's what you're sort of saying there, Mike. It wasn't that kind of game where he was going to be involved loads, but off the ball, he was, you know, there was a load of effort going in, a load of you know, harassing centre-backs, forcing errors, and it was then probably Loren... Pierce and Smallbone, who were picking up loose balls into midfield or over hit passes into midfield, under hit passes into midfield, and then putting us on the break, picking the ball up, you know, 30, 35 yards from goal and driving on. Um, and that seems to be a sort of something that we're doing quite a lot in these last few games now. And just to say these new tactics that we're employing, and um, yeah, teams are really struggling with it. I mean, Lou, obviously, at Pom. In Middlesbrough, Ben Breit and Diaz we've seen scored against us for Blackburn. Do you think maybe we 
just one of those kind of players away from having a, a really strong champion. It's that aside that obviously, you know, we've we've already mentioned that a lot of these players might not be here around come August, but the side that we've got now, are we maybe just goal scorer away down the middle from from a real title chasing side, maybe? Yeah, I think if we can secure the likes of, you know, Axel and, and Ben Pearson and, and that doesn't become like an issue for us in the summer, the one thing we would probably be missing then is a really pro- prolific striker at championship level. Um, and then I think we would be kind of chomping at the bit to break into that that playoff zone. But probably with the squad that we've got, I think the expectation is, like every Stoke fan's expectation is every year, that we're starting to, to fight for that top two spaces um I think Tyrese will be key to that as well he's obviously had he had the, the injury and he had the timeout and then I don't know if it's just because he's a local lad and there's a lot of expectation but when he come back there's he had a lot of criticism because he just didn't hit the ground running initially and it's took him a little bit of time to find his feet but he's definitely hitting a, a rich vein of form now so he'll be important and I just imagine that kind of maybe front three with Tyrese in there and I think you'll still need a bit of a workhorse in there. Um, still need a brown. Yeah, you still need a workhorse to kind of complement having a few luxury plays. But I think if we get a prolific striker at this level, um, we'd ask we'd be asking some real questions. Um, and I think from like a supporters fan, if I put my Stoke City fan hat on, that's all we want as fans is you know the performances we've seen the last few games. Granted, picking up points is great as well, but just to see him play like aggressive on the front foot and going ask questions like. Everybody's over the moon at a point at Middlesbrough last night because of how we played. Yes, they're they're in a rich vein of vein of form, and um, a few weeks ago we probably didn't think we got any right to go and take a point off them. But every fan I've spoke to in the last that twelve twenty four hours is just like over the moon that we're on the front foot, we're aggressive, and you know we we're, we're attacking with big numbers. And it's exciting football, and and it's enjoyable to watch as a Stoke fan and as a neutral, really. I'd that prolific strike and I think we'll be getting that regular. So I think as a fan, we'll be happy, but we'll also be kind of challenging for those top six places as well. I think you're spot on, Luke, because I think this season we've, we've used it at different points. We'll use the words apathy. There has been an element of apathy around the club. Everyone's like, oh, I've got something better to do on a Saturday. The players don't care. The It's not fun to watch, blah, blah. You know, it, we, I think there was a lot of, just, oh, I wish this season had just end. I've had enough to all of a sudden, like you said, like we've got a team and a bunch of players who are fighting. Those players themselves, I know they may think there's an outside chance of a playoff push. Yes, okay, mathematically, they've very well could be. Um, but but we, are, we are looking at a bunch of players who are fighting for the shirts which is all all you want as a Stoke fan um I think we've we I think most clubs are the same but we've been notorious for that if we can see that you are putting in 110% effort you can forgive a bad decision like you know Ben Pearson's mistake you can forgive that because he busts a gut every other minute of the match you can forgive it it's when people don't put effort in um you know I think I don't want to keep pulling old players out but when we think back to like Tom Ince we are, we, he was criticised a lot as, as a Stoke player because he wouldn't put out of effort in, he wouldn't run back, he had the game away from home where I think he touched the ball once in about 80 minutes, which for a midfielder is just dreadful. You know, yeah. you can't say that about this team now. They're pressing for 90 minutes. That's bloody hard to do. And you, you know, you as a, as a coach, Lou, you will probably know how hard it must be to put pressure on for 90 minutes. Um, so you can't fault the, the work rate at all. 
No, and I think I remember back when Alex Neil first came into the club, and there was a lot of talk around how the intensity of training had changed because he wanted to be aggressive on the front foot. And I think he made a few comments in his press conferences around he probably hadn't got the physical attributes in the squad that he would want to to have. Maybe starting to get that kind of physical output from the squad as well, because like you say, to press for long periods of time is, you know, the physical outputs from players are, are tremendous and it's really difficult to achieve. And if you haven't got the right personnel that can kind of do that, it starts to fall apart. Um, your Ben Pearsons will will con- like complement that with Alex Neal. But I think that's what we'll see more of. He seems like the kind of gaffer that wants to be on the front foot and really pressing and being aggressive. So I would imagine he'll, he'll recruit to kind of complement what he's looking for. Um, but as a fan, I think that's great because, like you say, we might not always pick up the points, but as long as we're going and asking questions of teams and we're playing exciting, aggressive football, we might make mistakes or take risks. But actually fans will want to get back in the stadium and that's something that I felt as well as a supporter at times you know on a Saturday you haven't always looked forward to a Sunday a Saturday afternoon at times because you've wondered you know are the lads going to be up for it today or are we going to get the a performance whereas I'm really looking forward to Saturday already you know and I probably haven't felt that level of excitement for a few months um, so it's nice to to be back in that kind of space again and be looking forward to the next fixture and seeing what we can go and do. That that's even with like nothing to play for, really, isn't it? As well, like it's not as if we sort of you've know, got a, a realistic chance of the playoffs. I mean, we probably need to win the nine games we've got left and have a few favours to get in. But it's like that excitement and looking forward to a game that's literally is just a game of football for there's like nothing riding on it for us and you wonder like if we can keep this momentum going now and recruit well over the summer then in 12 months time what's you know what are the feelings going to be like going into games then if if you know if we are sort of you know in the top seven or eight in the table this time next year you know people have got you know we're going to games thinking you know we could we could go up here you know we've got a big game and I say that's when you'll see sort of like the atmosphere return, I think. But I remember Tony Pulis um, sort of said it well, didn't he? When he was in charge, he always used to say that it's a it's a hard working area that go, you know, they go work. There's not a massive amount of pay. People work hard for the money, and they want to come and watch people working hard in the football team for their money. Yeah. And I think yeah, I think that he was sort of hit the nail on the head, didn't he, with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think I've heard um, about four or five weeks ago, I think Alex Neal said something similar. We'd had a really that poor result and Alex Neal said, I think one of the questions post-game was around, you know, the fans were unhappy tonight. Like, how do you feel about that? And he mentioned that these that these people pay good money to come watch a performance. Like, that's our, our job to deliver it. I'm comfortable with like, players, uh, fans being unhappy, you know, with poor performances. Like, they pay good money. Um and I think when we just mentioned that recruitment in the summer, a good run for these like last exchanges of the season will probably do Alex Neal some favours in the summer in terms of recruitment because if we can start to challenge, maybe not like the playoffs, probably might be a little bit unrealistic. We need a few favours and we need a really strong run. But if we can kind of break into you know seventh, eighth, ninth in the summer, that puts us in a really good position to go and recruit. And it probably does Alex a few favours in that market as well. Probably even with these low knees, I mean, that we've been talking about just as well. Because if you can sit them down and say, look what happened when you were here, come and give us a full season and we'll be up there. 
Well, yeah, because, I mean, I remember four or five weeks ago, we were, you know, we were looking at each game and we were looking at the running fixtures we got coming up and it was kind of, you know, where we're going to pick points up to make sure that we secured safety. And now we're talking about actually, can we start to go and get in and around that top six and ask questions of the playoffs and, and that kind of area? Um, if players can see that transformation in a short space of time, hopefully that'll give the likes of Axel and Ben Pearson a little bit of um, a little bit of a carrot in terms of the summer of, listen, we are progressive and, and we're really going to look to the challenge next season and, and get them put pen to paper. Yeah, you just said there, you know, we were looking where we were going to get points from. I mean, Mike, seven points from Sunderland, Blackburn and Middlesbrough, three form sides in the division. Um, it's not not been a bad start to March, has it? <laughs> No, and it's not. And I, I was trying to find earlier on. I didn't. I must admit, I didn't find it. But we put a we put a post out. I can't remember after what what game it was, but it was it was like the next. I think it was the next seven or eight fixtures, and everyone was saying the same thing. Where the heck's the next win coming from? Never mind anything else. And yeah, you, you can't. You, you know, you couldn't have seen this coming. Uh, so again, it comes down to all credit to the players, all credit to the management team. Uh, they've. The January transfer window was was everything, and we talk about you know summer window. Um, Lou is spot on with that. I, I thought for me, you know, if you are going into next season's transfer window, it's a lot easier to negotiate with a player when you're saying we're twelfth. You know, a couple of wins would have been fine playoffs to you know trying to say, well, we just scraped you know going through relegation here. It's a lot easier from a negotiation uh, perspective. So I think, Lou, you, you're spot on with that comment. It's 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 really big now to finish well. And for how difficult it's been this season and having to have, you know, try and win more than two games back-to-back for, what, only twice this season, to to have that and potentially be finishing in a high, our actual highest position since we got relegated, it just shows we're not far off. We just need some consistency. Um, and with, what, 10, 15 million to spend in the summer? It could be a really, really interesting summer. It really could. I was going to say, it'll be interesting if we do have a really good run of form and results. Um, me being a typical Stoke fan, how Alex Neil manages the expectations of the fans, because... He backs himself as a manager, and I really like that. Even in like the early stages when he first took over, and the performances weren't great, and the results weren't going our way, he always seemed to back himself pre and post game, um, and that's starting to kind of come to fruition a little bit now. But it'll be interesting to see how he kind of manages the expectations of the fan base in the summer if we do have a really strong finish. Because like every Stoke fan, if we do, um, we'll all be looking at promotion for next season and and. I think as a minimum breaking into them playoff spots. Um, and he's really confident and backs himself. So it could be a really interesting start to next season. And I'd be interested to see how he manages the fans' expectations, if he, he carries this like, real confident approach to it and, or if he starts to set expectations and take the pressure off the players a little bit. It'd be an interesting time. I mean, man of the match-wise for this game, I mean, who was your man of the match, Mike? Have you watched the game? Um, can we not just say the whole team? Can we not just go with that? Because I think they all work their backsides off. Even Jack Bonham saved a shot, which is inc- which is incredible. Um, no. So, oh, you know what? As much as a mistake that he made, I'm going to give it to Ben Pearson. Okay, well, it's very tricky to put to pull to pull somebody out from that is hard, but it's got to be Ben for me. 
Well, Ty- Tyrese Campbell was fifth with 4% of the vote. Uh, Josh Lorraine was fourth with 5%. Will Smallbone was third with 11 And it was quite tight between uh, Kian Hoover and Ben Pearson. Uh, ben Pearson got 30% and Hoover just sneaked it with 34% of the vote. Ooh, um, okay. So obviously stopped Ben getting back-to-back man of the matches. Um, player of the season wise that leaves Ben Wilmot still in first on 508 uh, Will Smallbone is rapidly catching him though he's now on 487 uh, Josh Lorenz on 361 Tyrese Campbell's now up to fourth in the player of the season standings with 345 and Dwight Gale is fifth with 327 um, interestingly I just had a look at this earlier on since the World Cup, Will Smallbone is miles in front. He's on three two nine. Loren is second on two five nine. Campbell third on two four one. Jacob Brown is actually fourth in the post World Cup standings one seven eight, and then Will Mott is fifth with one seven two. I think the, the top three there, Smallbone, Loren, Campbell, have all picked their games up definitely, haven't they? Since that World Cup break, right. Hello guys, Johnny here from the Borough Breakdown Podcast. I'm here to give you a review of Borough's game against Stoke on Tuesday night. And probably the word to describe it was probably nervy. I think both sides were very nervous uh, during the game. It felt a bit tense, you know, both teams were trying to work each other out. It felt like a bit of a game of chess at times. Um, Both teams, you know, were able to to probably get their best moments when they're on the break and trying to counter counter attack uh, both sides. But in terms of how uh, we played, I thought we didn't really make it stick last night. It hasn't been a, as a solid performance of what we've seen over like, the last few weeks. Uh, maybe it's a uh, accumulation of a, a few things of long travel or too many games or maybe, you know, we just we just didn't find our rhythm. Um, in some games you have that and I think Stoke deserve a lot of praise uh, from the night because I thought they defended really well. Um, they were able to press us in really key moments and force us into mistakes. And I thought a draw in itself is is definitely a fair result. Um, coming uh, out the out the stadium, I thought, and I, and I looked at the table. And I was like, I couldn't believe Stoke were fourteenth, and you know the players that you have and the quality of the manager. And it, when it's just starting to click as well, I feel like the end of the, this end of the part of the season it is coming at the wrong time for Stoke because I feel like you are starting to find form, and I have no doubt that you'll be up there uh, come the end of the season. Uh, come the, not just come, come the end of the season, maybe the tenth position, uh, but next year definitely in the playoffs. But guys, uh, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the game last night and I really enjoyed uh, the show last week. But thank you very much. Cheers. I think that rounds up uh, the Borough game. Anything anyone else wants to say? Um, Good for me, lads. The only one, one, one thing I did want to mention it was the uh, the bit of a snidey comments from Mowbray, and obviously, uh, of course, Alex's re- rebuttal of that on Sky Sports, saying we weren't bad for a ball a team who who don't want the ball. I thought that was quite a funny comment. Um, uh, they've obviously got some history them too, but I just thought, yeah, it was quite it was quite amusing to to hear that come out of the woodworks a little bit. Um, clearly, he was a bit offended by the comment that Mowbray made. I think Tony Mowbray's got got previous with Stoke, though, Auntie, from when he was at West Brom. There was like, he played his carpet football and Tony Pulis was, we were sort of going head-to-head for promotion and staying up and all sorts. Of it. And it was two different ends of the footballing scale. And we had sort of Pulis in charge and they had Mowbray. 
and uh, he di- he didn't take kindly, did he? Said, "Oh no, you, you don't play football like that. You're supposed to play it like this." I was like, "I'll just take whichever one wins." To be honest, <laughs> leave him to it. Uh, let him worry about what he wants to do, and we'll 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 carry on being a team who uh, likes to win games without touching the ball, eh? <laughs> right. Let's get into the news. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So, I'm going to start with some under-18 news. So, they won 2-0 away at Blackburn last week. Jaden Ogbebor and Raquel and Jeffers goals, one in each half, secured the points there. And this week, they are away at Manchester United. So, 11am Saturday, kick-off at Carrington. And that's third v fourth in the under-18s league. The under-21s, now they've done uh, really well. They got to the Premier League League Cup quarterfinals and that journey has now come to an end. So they had a 6-1 home drubbing against Fulham on the last Saturday. Uh, the one goal for us, though, was the goal of the game. So Jacob Holland Wilkinson, who we mentioned made the first team bench at Middlesbrough on Tuesday. Uh, he scored a great solo goal, picked the ball up on the halfway line, a few step-overs, beat a couple of defenders and put it in the bottom corner um, so yeah great great solo effort from him, from him. and the under 21s this week are away at Derby on Monday night so 7pm kickoff there at Loughborough University and just some other news as well so they should have been playing Leeds at home on Friday the 31st uh, that game has now been moved to Nantwich Town for anyone who was going to go uh, so it's still 7pm on Friday the 31st but it's now at Nantwich not at the Bet365 now, we will now talk about the women's team. So we may as well hand over to you, Lou. How has it been going? You know, you've, you've had a postponed game against Burnley at the weekend, and um, we touched on the game against Balmere, but how's, uh, how's uh, things been going with the women's team since we last spoke? So it's been an exciting time, really, um, both on and off the pitch. Um, we've done a, a similar change to Alex in terms of system, so... We played very similar to, to how the men's first team did. And I think the 3-5-2 is if you haven't got wing-backs and you haven't got the personnel, it's quite a, wing-backs quite a unique position. Um, and you you start to find yourself playing full-backs as wing-backs and, and wingers as wing-backs. And so we did a similar change and we've seen an upturn in performance and results. So that's, that's really exciting on the pitch. And we're starting to get a little bit of momentum and, the performances and results have followed, but I guess the, the most exciting thing at the minute is the off-the-field news. So we'll go under Ricky's umbrella from, from this point moving forward. So rather than being part of the community trust, um, we'll go under Ricky's umbrella as part of the football club and we'll move into a, a semi-professional space, which is really exciting for players, staff and the club. Puts us into a space that nobody else really at our level is 
has, has exploited so far. There's quite a few that, that have done it in in different ways. So some clubs have, have done it by paying players expenses, etc. But I think the space we all move into is quite unique. And that what a statement from the club really to and from John and Ricky and Simon to to say, listen, we're we're gonna invest in the women's umbrella and we're not just gonna do it half hearted, we're really gonna do it the right way first time round. So yeah, really exciting times on and off the pitch. What does um, so, um, sorry, Lou? Just what, what does it mean then for for the ladies? So basically, what what's going to change from being what we what we kind of were um, to being semi pro? Is it a matter of? I think we talk about more investment. So, what are they referring to as more investment? Are they talking about, for example, the the facilities? Um, you know, obviously we had that issue around that that was very publicised on on online. Um, is it stuff like that, or um, is it more like I say, like like helping the ladies financially? How how, how much of a difference is it going to make going semi pro? So I think the the biggest headline would have probably been the players um, turning semi professional, the financial support they'll get, and and that is really important because we'll look to operate a hybrid program um, where the girls can pursue a career still, pursue studies, and still have the academic part of their life ongoing, but they'll be financially supported um, from a football perspective. So, for example, the minute we train twice a week. Um, because of the the financial commitment from players and and the time commitment, whereas moving into this new semi professional space, the girls will be on the grass three four days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think from the a players' perspective, the financial support will be huge and it'll be a real positive factor in our recruitment in the summer. But from a club perspective, it'll be collaborating with the academy a little bit more, um, resource sharing. Um, got a luxury of using Clayton Wood um, and just make the whole playing experience a little bit more professional. I think Ricky mentioned that what he wanted for the women's umbrella was that when we went to Clayton Wood or we went to the Bet365 that we felt at home and not like a visitor and that probably summarises it in one really um, and not to say that we feel like visitors at the moment because we appreciate the support the club have given us to date um, but just to feel as though that is our home and and that's our base will will be a really nice nice feeling to have when we we walk into Clayton Wood, um, sharing the provision and staff, um, so sharing those resources over between us and the, the academy and and the twenty threes will will be really important to our progression. But just offering that that hybrid um, environment where we're on the grass three four days a week because every coach will probably tell you they wish they'd had more time with the players. No matter who you speak to, I think everybody wants more time with them, but we'll be able now to support them financially to make sure that, listen, we've got some girls that travel an hour and a half, two hours wow. to get on the grass and train. Um, so their costs at the minute to commute are quite high. So we can support them with that and we can get them on the grass three, four days a week. And it's not just about the technical and the tactical side of the game. It's, you know, we can get them into the gym and make sure that the load they're getting is specific to the game rather than them going to the gym and working out independently, we can make sure that Chalky, who looks after the sports science, he's got a programme that's applicable to women in football. Um, so it just takes us into that new new kind of bracket where we're entering elite women's football, really. Um, and for us in the, in, the, in the Midlands, there are a couple of clubs that have kind of stepped into that space and they've done it quite well, but the investment that the coach family have put into this, I think it will take will surpass those clubs, which is... Which is always nice when you've got noisy neighbours. Um, 
But I think it's really good for the club and the city and the county as well to kind of raise that that profile for girls and women. Um, so, yeah, really pleased with the, the last few weeks. It's been really exciting. Obviously, look at the level you're at at the minute in the division you're in. Would would you expect then to say your um, budget, if you like, and your resources and um, the things you can pull from? Will that be? Would you imagine that obviously we will now have the best facilities, the best, the biggest budgets, or whatever, in out of the teams in that division? Yeah. This, so the budget that we've got will be really competitive. But I've always I've got a big belief in football. You can have a huge huge budget I think we've seen it in Stoke in terms of the men's football you can have yeah, a lot I was just of money say. <laughs> but what you do with it is is crucial so the next few months um, I think in one of the, the press releases I mentioned that we've got a lot of work to do between now and the summer to make sure that we've got a real solid foundation and infrastructure that's ready to kind of that's already aligned with the budget that we've got we've got to make sure we've got that in place because we see quite frequently in men's football where you know, people have a huge budget and the money's probably not spent very well or spent in, the, spent in the wrong areas. We have to make sure that now we've got this investment that it's, it's, it's spent right. And for me, the first part of that building block is making sure that the infrastructure and, and the support we've got within the club is right. And then we go and recruit the right players, um, bring good people into the club, make sure the, the coaching set is, is big, but it's also good people again. Um, so yeah there's, there's a lot of work to do between now and then but I suppose to answer your question in terms of how how does that budget kind of compare to other competitors Ricky um, has been really transparent in saying that he's got an ambition to be a championship club and when he says that I don't think he, he says he in jest I think he genuinely has a real drive he seems like the kind of guy to me that he set his mind on it he's going to achieve it so There'll definitely be like a real progressive attitude as we break into next season. But I think we also have to set the expectation that we can't change things overnight. There's a lot of hard work to do and we, we're definitely going to be looking to break into that championship space and, and maybe almost break into a nearly professional environment. But there's an awful lot of work to do um, in between now and then. And I'm certain that the people that are driving this will, will achieve it, but... I think it's one step at a time. Let's go get the infrastructure in place. Then let's recruit good staff and players in the summer. And let's go and ask real questions next season and put ourselves into that cluster to break in the championship. And um, just so you know as well, Lou, I've had a message off Angela Smith to say that if you don't say loads and loads of really nice things about her, that uh, you're going you're gonna to have to answer to her. So just so you know. <laughs> no, so sincerely, I can, um, I can imagine Angie sent that. Um, but Ange was brought in as our general manager in September, October. Um, and she was brought in with that quite a key role to play in terms of we have to progress this forward. Um, but there's not many people that have experienced women's sport and, and that kind of transition into that semi-professional, professional space. Um, and when Ange come in, I tried to set the expectation that this isn't going to be easy. You know, the, the task you've been given is, is going to be a challenge. And all credit to her. She's done an unbelievable job in a short space of time. I don't think there's many clubs that have made the progress we have in six months. Um, it's a, a huge ground that she's covered in the background. And, and people will see the you know the, the headlines and the press releases and that kind of stuff. But there's, there has been an unbelievable amount of hard work in the background, negotiations, business plans, um, project championship, um, because 
in order for the club to buy into what we kind of dreamed and believed in, we needed to prove that, have a proof of concept that we can do this. Um, and Andrew is a huge part of that. So all credit to Anne. She'll be pleased I've mentioned that now. I suppose after after what she'd done for the world of squash and you know, how she transformed that into like the professional game and everything, you couldn't have asked for a better person, really, could you, like you say? No, it's and it's um I'd I'd obviously I knew about Angie in the city, I'd never worked with her before we kind of become colleagues and I didn't really know what to expect when Angie first came on board. But something that I've kind of come to, people will talk about like the background work that she's done, but she's so supportive to the players and staff as well. So as a general manager, she's she's heavily involved into the in the day-to-day running of what we do, um, which is kind of key. But she's got such a drive. She's so ambitious. So when you've got somebody that kind of sits it towards the top end of your kind of structure in the club that's driven and ambitious, it's infectious. So as like a staff set, we've bought into actually She's got a vision. She knows where she wants to take it. And and when you've got somebody that's so passionate and driven, she cares about the club so much. Um, but she also cares about females in sport as well. That's obviously, that's her space. And that's where she's been really successful. So that's been infectious as well in terms of everybody's on board. Everybody sees the vision. And that's probably been a key part in and you're having a lot of internal success with the club and, and getting this over the line as well. And yeah, hopefully you can we can get you know five five wins out of five and, and a cup final victory to boot between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I don't think it'd do any of us any harm. I think um particularly after the press release, it'd be nice to have like a, a really nice positive finish to the season. We'd probably finish this this kind of legacy season off really nicely. Um and and leave some people will leave with, you know, with the chest pumped out, really proud of, of what we've achieved. And if that's right for them, then great. And and those that we retain at the club and they're part of the future, uh, let's give them the best platform possible to push on for in the future. Just to round off this news section, obviously we've got an international break coming up and uh, Michael O'Neill's done his first Northern Ireland squad since he returned to be the uh, head coach there. And Jordan Thompson has got a call up as expected. And Jacob Brown has got a call up for the Scotland national side. All right, let's get into the Norwich game. So I'm going to kick you off with some stats as usual. So we've played Norwich on 58 occasions, 21 wins, 17 draws and 20 defeats. At home, we've played them 30 times with 17 wins, 7 draws and just 6 losses. Um, now, Norwich under David Wagner have got six wins, two uh, six wins, two draws, and four defeats uh, from their twelve matches since he took over. Uh, we have got so Stoke's home form puts them nineteenth in the home table with twenty-two points from eighteen games. Norwich's away form sees them seventh in the away table, having picked up twenty-eight points on their travels from eighteen games. The form table, though, does uh, actually looks quite well for Stoke. It's not, not very often we've been able to say this over the past couple of years, is it? But yeah, in the form table, Stoke sits sixth in the last five games with 10 points. And Norwich also have 10 points um, from the last five matches. Uh, Stoke have scored 12, conceded six. Norwich have scored nine and conceded five. Uh, the last three meetings between these sides at the Bet365 have all had four or more goals. Uh, there's been one win, three either side, and a draw. Um, and a win would take us to 50 points. And we've only had more than that in three out of the last 15 seasons after 38 games. 
So it's not actually it doesn't sound like that terrible this season when you put it like that, does it? <laughs> um, so the also as this being the thirty eighth league game of the season, it's a interesting a quirky stat. We were unbeaten in the last eleven years on this game of the season. Winning seven of the last nine, so you know if you believe in the fate and all that, then that's the one. To, that's where to go. Uh, Nick Powell, he's got two goals in five games versus Norwich, but has only ever picked up one point from them five matches. Uh, Dwight Gale scored four goals and has four wins from his nine games versus Norwich. Uh, so he's not so... going to he's not going to score them, mate. Because every time you say always he scored five goals against these <laughs> nine goals against these, he never ever scores. <laughs> um, how about this one for you the current run of three games unbeaten is our longest run unbeaten this season of course it is <laughs> of course it is <laughs> um, an interesting one as well that three uh, I think it's only it, that, that three game unbeaten run is the lowest unbeaten run in, in 20 years but we've all, the maximum we've gone without a win is four games, and that is also the lowest in 20 years. So we've literally we've had no runs of wins, no runs of losses. We just keep winning, losing, winning, losing, winning, losing one after the other <laughs> all season. Um, so Morgan Fox. Now we know we've mentioned before how many gate, how many minutes he's played under Alex Neal. Uh, he is now just 23 minutes behind Lewis Baker. Uh, in terms, Lewis Baker sits second in most minutes played this season, and Fox is just 23 minutes behind him. And actually, uh, under Alex Neal, uh, Ben Wilmot has played the most, but Morgan Fox is only three minutes behind him. So you wouldn't have thought, would you, back in August when Alex Neal come in, that we'd be sitting here in March saying that Morgan Fox is um, playing near enough more than anybody? No way, no. All credit to Morgan, though, for. For yeah, he's made match. himself a solid, dependable defender, hasn't he? Mm. Um, so the ref, would you like to tell you about the ref? Go on. David Webb, 30 games he's ref this season, 92 yellows, 6 reds, 6 penalties. Uh, all those reds and penalties have come in his 26 championship matches. Uh, he has 12 home wins, 12 draws and 6 away wins this season. He's ref Stoke three times this year, all uh, draws, 1-1 at home to Swansea, 1-1 away at Burnley and 2-2 away at Rotherham, giving five yellows to Stoke and no reds, of course, because nobody's been sent off yet and I still haven't done that, found that out for you yet, Mike, when the last time that happened was. Um, <laughs> he's ref Norwich twice this season, giving them three yellows, no reds and a penalty against them. Uh, there was the 3-2 home win against Bristol City and a 1-1 home draw against Reading. Uh, his nine Stoke games in history has given us ten yellows, no reds and two penalties against us. We've won three, drew six, lost one. And he's ref Norwich on seven occasions, giving them nine yellows, no reds. Uh, he's given them one penalty and give two penalties against them. They've won four, drew one and lost two of those seven games. So take from that what you like. <laughs> mm. I'm saying, saying that the other week, though, Lou, as well, like the whole not being sent off. It'd be incredible to go out an entire season without a red card, don't you think? Yeah, and I would be interesting to see if we could get hold of that stat the last time that happened. Um, but yeah, I don't think Stoke's probably historically known for a, a club that, that would go a whole season without a red. So that'd be some coup, really. Um, be interesting to see if we can make it through to the end of the season. 
I reckon Martin Atkinson's thinking of coming out of retirement just for one match. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, is Gavin Ward visiting between now and the rest of the season? Because I'm sure, mind you, no, he doesn't spot uh, uh, red cards, does he? As as we we can tell from our previous history with him. (laughs) Taylor Harwood Bellies can can, uh, clarify that one for you. So there you go. Uh, Lou also wants that stat, and I'm sure every, you know, all the thousands of people listening also want it, Dan. So uh, get get your skates on, please. I've got. I tell you what, if we don't have anyone sent off against Norwich at the weekend, I've got two weeks then until till the, till the international break. I will find that out for you. Yeah. Okay. Fair dues. I'll come back with a plethora of of non red card stats for you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what are we thinking then, Norwich? Going to be a tough game, I reckon. Obviously, I think they're, they're a, bit, a bit Jekyll and Hyde, aren't they? I think mm. they're the seventh, eighth in the league, but they feel like they should be higher, really, with the team they've got. You, you say that, but like, I'm not being funny. They've they've drawn to Huddersfield tonight. Huddersfield, um, not not respectfully, the crap. So um, I'm sorry, you, you know. Norwich, you're right, a seventh, but they're really, for me, they're starting to falter um, a little bit. I don't know whether it's a quality thing or whether it's, I don't know, nerves at this point in the season or, or what it is. But I actually, I'm, I'm really, I'm really confident. And it, I think the way that we play at the minute, we seem to be sorting out our home form. We're scoring goals for fun. Um, I aren't concerned, Dan. I think we'll win this one, and I think we'll probably win it. I'm going to go for another 3-1 win. I know we're not on predictions yet, but um, I'm going to go for a 3-1 Stoke win because I do not think we're going to lose to Norwich at all. No, I'd agree as well. I think um, I think a, a real big factor this weekend is that I think we'll get a good crowd there and I think everybody will be excited for the game and really get behind them. Um, and I think that'll be, that'll be big on Saturday and I think everyone will be excited on the front foot and... And really positive about it. I think. Well, I was thinking three nil, three one two. Yeah. I, I think obviously the thing is they haven't played till tonight either. They've been away at Huddersfield, haven't they tonight? Yeah. I mean, they've got a long trip. Everywhere it's a long trip, isn't it? When you're coming from Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they've had, they've had to go up there tonight. They've Ben Gibson's gone off injured in the first half. Adam Idar's gone off injured in the first half. Marquinhos has been sent off late on. Wow. They've only drew 1-1 with Huddersfield, who, as we are reliably informed by our good Huddersfield sporting friend, are absolutely atrocious. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I mean, you look at Josh, you think their sort of strength is up front as well, don't you? You think of Timu Puki, you think of Josh Sargent. David Wagner's got him playing 4-1-4-1. So he's playing with one of those two. I mean, Sargent has, he's had a few weeks out injured. I think he was out for three weeks. He's the top scorer with 11 goals. He came off the bench against Sunderland and made his return last week, but he's only scored twice in his last 15 games since the start of November. Timu Puki's got 10, um, but he's also drew a blank in 10 out of his last 11 games since Boxing Day. So the strikers... that uh, you, Funny how you're saying this stuttering, Mike. It looks like the strikers' goals have all dried up, and that's probably why they don't seem to be quite, you know, quite the team they were. It's probably worth pointing out that Pookie likes to score against Stoke, if I remember rightly. I haven't got any stats to back that up. Well, I've got, I've got your quiz in a bit, and that does feature. Oh, OK. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I mean, do you think that fo- not many teams we come up against play this four-one-four-one formation? Do you think we, our midfield, will be able to do the job it's it's used to doing, or it has been doing recently? I, I, you know, I, I don't put anything past our midfield. Again, if we keep up this high-pressure game, I think any team playing any formation, if we're putting that pressure in, um, I think we'll be absolutely fine. And it's it's so weird, isn't it? A change of mentality towards you, you know the team thinking we can beat anyone, and I I really do think we can at the minute. I was looking through like fixtures for the rest of this season, fixtures that other teams around that kind of playoff run have got, um, and that's why I think we're not quite out of the running yet. Um, believe it or not, Dan. So. I, I aren't worried. Uh, our midfield are a solid midfield, and that's when it comes to things like team predictions. Like, I, I'm not changing the team. I'm really, I, you can't change the team. So it's the same again for me. I mean, Lou, what do you think? Do you think formations like that can, because Alex Neal, um, I know he said as well, because people were asking why. Sometimes Jacob Brown's on the right and Campbell's on the left, and then the following week Campbell will be on the right and Brown will be on the left. And uh, I think he, he sort of described it as if the if the opposition's the back four like to play narrow, uh, then he'll play them he'll play Campbell on the left and Brown on the right because it's their natural sides, and they can sort of provide width in that way, so they can sort of yeah. get to the byline, pull the ball back because on the stronger foot. And then if the opposition play with a wide back line, he'll switch them over and they become more inverted wingers where they can cut inside onto the stronger foot. Then, so you think he, he leaves? He pays a lot of attention to little details like that, doesn't he? And he doesn't mind tweaking things. Do you think you have? If somebody's going to come up with that colour formation there, where they've got their own holding midfielder and then four across the midfield, can you see him tweaking anything to, to, to counteract that? Or do you think that maybe if he's got Smallbone and Loren running on and they've got a bank of four midfielders who are all maybe forward thinking with the one defensive one behind, it could actually spell disaster for Norwich. <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. we're getting forward. I think so. And I think, obviously, we've just had, we're unbeaten in three and they've struggled at Sunderland with that, that loss at Sunderland and then struggled again tonight. So we're in the ascendancy and they're having a little bit of a, a patch where they're struggling. And as a coach, there's there's like a kind of a debate in the football world. How much time do you focus on the opposition? How much time do you focus on yourselves? And, and how much does that influence how you set up and the game plan? I think when you're in the ascendancy, I think they'll be more worried about us this weekend. I think four or five weeks ago, a 4-1-4-1, I'd have been a little bit worried about us. Um, but because we're in the ascendancy, I think they'll be worried about the power and the pace that we've got going forward. So how effective will that fall behind that that striker be? Um, and how much will they be worried about us? So I don't think we'll change too much. I think he'll stick with the 4-3-3 and, and particularly being at home as well, the, the run of form that we've had, the performances we've kind of put in the last few weeks. I'd like to just go be quite aggressive and, and put it on them that like we spoke about tonight, that really high and aggressive press and, and making it difficult for them to play. Um, and see how they handle us a little bit, I guess. Um, but if we'd have been on a bit of a, a tough run ourselves, I think we'd have probably been considering their setup a little bit more. But definitely with the run of form that we're on, and you know, you got Campbell that's that's asking lots of questions. You have got Smallbone and Loren breaking through the midfield, and then with Hoover scoring goals, I think they'll be a little bit worried about what we bring to the table on Saturday, which is kind of refreshing being a Stoke fan. Um, 
knowing that we probably go into the game on the front foot. So I think Alex Neil will he'll be aggressive, he'll be really positive. He'll be I think he'll have factored in what they bring to the table as well, but I think he'll be focusing on can we go in and cause them problems and ask questions of them and see how they deal with us. Would you say keep the same keep the same eleven as played in midweek? Yeah, I don't think you can change it. Um and not to say that if you win games and you play well that you can't change it, but um the run of form that we've had has been unprecedented this this season. You know, we haven't I think that's the first time we've put a run together all season. So back to back wins and and really strong performance last night. I would definitely stick with with what works. I think if you find he's changed the system, um he's found a combination of midfield that complements what he's trying to do. So I would definitely stay with the the eleven and and then see. I just thought last Friday as well when we made the changes, I think it was quite clear and, and visible that the performance dropped, not just in the goals, even though they scored two goals. If you take them away, I think everybody in the ground kind of noticed the the change in dynamic and intensity and we didn't perhaps suffer as much of a threat and we looked a little bit vulnerable. So listen, if it if it works, don't don't change it. Um and I think it's definitely working at the minute. So I'll, I would continue how he's been setting up and, and stick with the eleven. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny how you mentioned that when we made them subs last Friday. I mean, obviously, Lucas and Timing came on, and then neither of them were on the bench on Tuesday, were they? And uh, you, you, I, mean, I very much doubt you'd ever get um, Alex Neil to come out and say it. But I wonder if those two goals conceded did have any anything to play in, in obviously their omission from the squad in midweek. Um, but like I said, we'll never really know that one. Um, I myself, I'm also going for an unchanged side. Um, the only, obviously, the only thing we possibly may have to change is Twanzebe. I know he obviously came off with a gash, didn't he, above his eye um, after that bad clash of heads. So, barring any sort of concussion from that or anything, which he did, he seemed fine. He seemed a bit annoyed he was coming off. Um, but obviously, as long as Obviously, the stitches he needed, or any sort of concussion. If he doesn't play, I'd probably bring, I'd probably bring Fox in alongside Wilmot. Um, I know Jagielka and Wilmot played at Norwich together and didn't have great success. <laughs> Although obviously we were in, seemed to be in a different state of mind then. But yeah, um, for me, I'd probably bring Fox in alongside Wilmot if Twanzebe can't make it. But ideally, yeah, send the same eleven lads out as we did on Tuesday. I wonder um, what Connor Taylor's making of all this, by the way. I think he's just got to wait for his chance, and he's. I say, I think if Fox was having a howl, if Fox was coming in, and and having a howl and making mistakes, and he still wasn't getting picked, he'd probably have a case, you know, to say, you know, what what do I have to do to get a game? But he's. It's not as if we are making howlers and making mistakes and 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 losing every week that that players can sort of throw their toys out the pram that they're not involved. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, what would your obviously as a young lad he does want to be playing until Lou, but do you think he's just got to bide his time, or or do you do you think he got a right to say you know after the start of the season I made I I, I think I deserve to be playing more. I think he probably has to be patient, um, and I don't think Alex Neal has, has really had the opportunity to maybe to be a little bit flexible. He was under a lot of pressure a few weeks ago. Um, if you think about the position we were in four or five weeks ago, 
you know, the fan base was was getting a little bit upset and there was a lot of noise around the ground. The attendance start, started to drop and he would have never perhaps shown that in his press conferences and he would have still been confident and, and approached things nice and positive. But I think he would have felt pressure. So I think Alex Neal will feel a little bit of relief with the last few performances and points. And that probably does kind of taint your, your team selection a little bit. I don't think he's really had the opportunity to to kind of mix things up. And that's why I think he'll stick with the same 11 coming into this weekend because although the pressure's eased a little bit and the expectations are probably quite low at the minute, fans are just happy with, with us playing good football and, and it being a nice environment and performing well and picking up points. He'll probably feel a little bit of relief in that respect. But in terms of offering opportunities, I think we'll probably need a few more points on the board before he, he's perhaps a little bit more flexible in rotations. But I think if Connor's a little bit patient now, he'll get his opportunity So at some point. And then I guess it's down to the individual then to take it. It's, you know, when he gets his opportunity, kind of take it. He's really bright at the start of the season. So when he gets that chance, you've got to come in, you've got to take it and and give him give Alex Neal a bit of an headache, really, in, in terms of team selection. Probably more so going into next season as well. Can you ask questions when you get the chance and, and cause him a few headaches? Yeah, I think I think he was unlucky, wasn't he? And that as Alex Neal came in, he had a bit of a bad injury and was out for a couple of months. So by the time he's got back to fitness, sort of other defenders have sort of stated the claim, and the manager knows what what he can expect and he can trust them, whatever. And obviously, Connor's then got to come from a sort of position behind them, anti and by the time he's sort of, you know shown in training what he's capable of. The manager's already got his settled side, and you know the players who, like I say, he's been playing. If he'd been fit when Neil first come in and played them first few games, then might have been a different story. He might have been playing forty games a season. Yeah, I think so, and I think Connor will be like he'll be very much aware of that. That probably he's been a little bit unfortunate this season um, with timing, and he'll be waiting for his opportunity. You know, as a professional, I've got no doubt that he'll be. He'll be sitting there being patient and he'll be waiting for his opportunity. And and as a young lad, I hope when he gets it, he takes it. I was really impressed with him at the start of the season. So hopefully, as we kind of look towards next season, um, he can kind of tick a few boxes for Alex Neal and, and start to ask ask good questions of him. But yeah, he's, he's been unfortunate. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think Alex Neal's had his hands tied in as much as he's had to deliver results recently. So... I think he'll stick with that 11 and he'll go with what he knows is working at the minute. And, and at some point, as is with, with the football world, something will will crop up, you know, whether Jags is unavailable. It could be Axel at the weekend. It could That opportunity will come about for Connor in, in some fashion. And when it does, um, I think most Stokies will be rooting for him and wanting him to do well. Yeah, 100%. Um I, I fancy 3-1 at the weekend. I think Ty's going to get a couple and Josh Loren's going to break break for the midfield and get himself another goal. Um, Mike, what, what's your score prediction? I'm still going to stick to my 3-1, uh, to be honest, Dan. Um, it's hard to say who's going to get the goals. I mean, you, you, you've got to say that Tyrese is, is going to have one, I think. Um, I reckon that Jacob Brown's going to ram my comment down my throat. So <laughs> I'm going to go for Campbell Brown and hmm, Wilmot. Bit of a bit of variety. What what who's your uh, goal scorer is going to be, Lou? So I think you got to put Ty in there. I think Ty's he's he's good for a goal 
in every game at the minute. And I do fancy Jacob Brown. I think that chance that he missed in the, the latter stages last night, um, I fancy him for a goal on, on Saturday. Um, and then I do think Smallbone or Loren got a goal. I don't think we'll see Hoover on the, the score sheet. I think every club in the championship that's coming up against us in the next few weeks will be very well aware that he breaks from that full-back area and he's a problem. So they might have one eye on Hoover and making sure they're tracking him and, and keeping him in check. So I'm going to go Ty, Jacob Brown, and go Smallbone. Brown, so we've got a trio of three-goal wins there. And uh, let's see what the ever-dependable Mr McGarry has predicted this week. Hello there, and once again, you Potter's predictors. This is Graham McGarry. Looking forward now, of course, to Stoke City against Norwich City. Can you make it four games unbeaten? A lovely little run is coming together for Alex Neal and a fine point against the informed Middlesbrough side on Tuesday night will give them every confidence that they can take a result against a team like Norwich who at the moment are not finding it easy to get positive results. So Stoke have got to take full advantage. The players are confident, players are scoring goals and the home fans need to get behind the team to see them over the line before they go into the international break. So are they going to get those three points come Saturday tea time? I think they are. I think it'll be a comfortable win too. Stoke City 2, Norwich City 0. Hello Stoke fans, Adam Harvey here. A little bit of insight into to Norwich City and what you can expect on Saturday. But to start, I'll just talk about our season so far. Of course, the, the main objectives which were put on record by our sporting director and former manager Dean Smith at the start of the season was very much promotion back to the Premier League. Uh, they kept hold of lots of key players, the likes of... Timu Puki, Tim Krull, Grant Hanley, Max Ahrens, um, you know, players that had proven themselves at championship level previously had won the title, actually, the, the last two times they'd played in the division. But unfortunately, the season hasn't really panned out in a, in a successful manner. Uh, we started the campaign quite well. Uh, we got six straight wins at one point, which took us top of the table. Uh, and then we took a little bit of a dip uh, just before the World Cup break. And then, unfortunately, that cost Dean Smith his job. On Boxing Day, after a really grim 2-1 defeat to Luton, we then appointed David Wagner, who obviously had, had great success at, at Huddersfield Town previously in the Championship. And Form has turned round. We, we've got a little bit more of an identity around us now. There's a bit more of an intensity, uh, much more sort of high-pressing side now than, than what we were under Dean Smith. And we've picked up a few good results. Uh, we recently got a great 3-2 win away at Millwall, which actually took us back into the top six and... The optimism then was very high, but that's very much popped again in terms of the bubble. After the last two games, uh, we lost to Sunderland on Sunday in a really disappointing manner. And then a 1-1 draw last night against Huddersfield Town was just kind of felt like it was a massive dent in our playoff hopes. And we're now four points outside the playoffs, which makes Saturday's game against you guys really, really big. Of course, you guys are in great form. Um, we're not after the past two games and we're also... Coming into the game with lots of injuries, so I think probably not feeling very optimistic. Uh, I mean, Norwich kind of have to win the game, so it does make it a really big game from our perspective. And of course, there's the the element of our former manager being Alex Neal in, in the Stoke dugout. So I'm sure he's going to be right up for the game and, and trying to help you know you guys continue your, your great form towards the end of the season. Um, key man, probably Gabriel Sara. He scored... Three goals in his last four games. He's a, a Brazilian we brought in from Sao Paulo last summer. It, it's taken him a little bit of time to to get to grips with English football, but 
he can now speak English fluently and, and since David Wagner's arrival, he's been a revelation. Um, he's now being linked with lots of real top clubs around Europe and he's certainly a player that we need to try and build around for next season, wherever we are, if that is um, you know, a playoff campaign that ends up back in the Premier League, but, but more likely in the Championship. He's a player that we need to basically mould our squad round and, and hopefully he could be a man for the future. And he's got a really good partnership as well with Kenny McLean, who's another player I'd I'd highlight a, a really experienced championship operator, of course, a, a Scottish international as well. Uh, and then finally, score prediction. Um, I'll probably go for a 1-1 draw, which is probably the worst result Norwich could get other than enough to defeat, obviously. But um, anything but a win probably does all but end any sort of faint hopes of uh, a playoff. So um, hoping we can get the win, but but my head says a 1-1 draw. So hopefully that's uh, lots of op- you know opposition insight that, that you can... Uh, sort of get your, get your teeth into and yeah you know a little bit more about what you're going to be facing on Saturday afternoon Cheers Graham 2-0 um, he's the man to follow at the minute isn't he Mike You've, uh, you were disgusted mm-hmm. when, you, when the results ended 1-1 for one reason yeah it was about the 85th minute and I realised, oh, crap, Graham went 1-1 and we give him some stick for it. I was like, oh, great. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, he's, he's come out of nowhere and he's starting to to get a lead. I mean, is, is it much of a lead? I can't remember how many points well, he gets for that got, now. He's got 49 points. I've got 42 and you've got 41. Um, so he's guaranteed to be in the lead after this one because obviously we've all gone for wins, so we can only make five upon him. Uh, but yeah, our position are well out now. They're on twenty three because they never predict us don't win. So, <laughs> so they're out of it. But yeah, we've got we've got a clawing back now. Um, We're gonna have to add an extra line in there for lose predictions next season. Yeah. <laughs> um, Super six. So I've got uh, I'm in seventy second with two hundred and fifty three points after picking up ten this week. Uh, Mike, you got you got twelve points. You got all six all six results right without getting any scores correct. But yeah, six out of six. Did you did you put a bet on it? Uh, I didn't, if I'm honest with you. Now, I've, oh, I've you completely... got a nice sixfold there. Uh, you're up to sixty second in the table, so you're on uh, two hundred ninety six. You've got a forty three point lead on me. Um, ben Dawson, new lead, new name at the top. He's taken top spot with three nine eight. Luke Jones drops down to second on three nine five, and Matt Robinson's on three eight nine. Uh, Gaffer, so you're in twenty sixth with one nine oh nine. I'm in nineteenth with two oh four three. So hundred point difference, but only seven places. And the same three names at the top. Jack Curran's top with 3022. Pookie Blinders, hopefully he doesn't have a blinder on Saturday, uh, 2927. And at Stoke Gaffer on 2897 is in third. So, would you like a little quiz just to finish off? Go on then. If uh, yeah, me and Lou are still awake at twenty-five to midnight. So yeah, go for it. <laughs> so it's a Norwich, a Norwich-related quiz. Ooh, Which current sorry. member of the Norwich squad is a former Stoke player? Ooh. Hmm. Just got his first international call-up yesterday after switching allegiance. His That's dad true. is a Norwich legend. Plays the same position as him. Mm. You might have me scuppered here. Angus Gunn. Really? Oh, God, he's still playing, is he? Okay. It's only about 24. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it was one of them who's just been around forever and I've heard nothing of him for years. Okay. 
Well, yeah, he got his call up to this. He switched to, uh, I think his dad used to play for Scotland. I think he switched allegiance to Scotland this week and got his first call up to the, their national side. So we'll be meeting back up with Jacob Brown next week. Uh, which midfielder sandwiched a spell at Stoke between two uh, spells with Norwich in the 2000s? Daryl Russell. Daryl Russell, indeed. Now, this is what you mentioned earlier on. Timu Puki has played Stoke five times in his career. How many goals does he have? I'll give you one either side. Seven? I'm going to go... I think it's a few more than that. I'm going to go nine. In his five games, he scored five goals. So, mm. not quite as prolific as name, but there were a couple of doubles in there recently. So, yeah, the recent form, he's, he's uh, yeah, banging them in. <laughs> Let's hope he doesn't find it Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Um, who lashed home our injury time consolation in the 3 1 defeat at Carrow Road this season? Um. There was no celebration, and they looked like there was a lot of anger taken out. He just the ball just fell to him. He just smashed it in the roof of the net. Oh, um, Nick Powell. It was Nick Powell, yes. Uh, and which Norwich Loney now at Middlesbrough scored two goals in that game in the name that? Oh yes, Aaron Ramsey. Yes, Aaron Ramsey. Um, three men have managed both sides. Can you name them? Oh, my God. Uh, Lambert. What would he one? Paul Lambert was one. Um, I mean, one should be plainly obvious. Uh, uh, what's his Alex name? Neil. Alex Neil. Alex Neil, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and there was um, another one. He was manager at Norwich in the mid-90s. And he Gary married Megson? Gary Megson, yeah. That's a throwback. Is he just... <laughs> Uh, in the summer 2021, who did Stoke sign from Norwich on the free transfer in penning a two-year deal? Creative midfielder, Bosnia, no. Mario Vrancic. Oh, really? Okay. Aye. And question number eight. How old was Alex Neal in 2015 when he led Norwich to promotion glory via the championship playoffs? How old was he? Come on. <laughs> yeah, 2015. Well, if you know how old he is now, you can work that one out. He's about, he's got to be, I'd say Alex is about 40. So we're throwing it back 18 years. So I'm going to go about 22. Uh, 2015, sorry, Lou. Oh, sorry. So I'm going to go 32. Yeah, so he was the manager. He was 33 when they got promoted. So I'll give you that one. <laughs> Not, not bad for a manager there, is it? I think it was his second promotion as well. I think he'd already got promoted with Hamilton before then. So not not a bad he's not a bad CV for for a 41-year-old, has he? <laughs> management. Yeah. Um but yes, that, that is your quiz. Well done. I think you did very well there, pair of you. Yeah, I think we know more about Norwich than we thought, Lou. We'll take it. <laughs> I think you knew more about Norwich and just Angus gone through you, that was all. Yeah, mate, I, I, I genuinely, I, I've not thought or heard the name Angus Gunn for so long, I just completely forgot all about him. I think it's weird as well, those kind of players, the ones who played during the lockdown where there was no fans present, I think you forget they played for you, don't they? Mm. Yeah. 
Um, but yes, it's been. I've enjoyed this last past uh, hour and a half or so that we've had. A, I've, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. So uh, thank you for your time, Lou. Thank you for coming on. No, you're and, welcome. Uh, yes, I'm sure we'll have you back. I'll be back again at some point. Would love to. Well, um, yeah, so three points at the weekend. And uh, yeah, let's keep this late season charge up the table and see where we end up. Order that promotion, Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.